You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our podcast is featured on the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle or me at leadersandlegends.net. And as always, all our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. Howie Politics and State Affairs Pro offer insider election coverage, polling, and analysis in Indiana. Our nonpartisan news and legislative tools create a winning combination pro subscribers can't live without. For all the resources you need this election season and beyond, visit pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. That's pro.stateaffairs.com slash IN. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is number 16? Yes. Harry Gonzo, (laughs) as we knew him in Republican Party politics, HLG. Oh, if, thank you. And if those initials came across your email, all I could say is you were in trouble. <laughs> Harry Gonzo is a very famous collegiate athlete. Uh, he is a highly respected attorney, now retired. Correct. Ice Miller. And he, as it say, a shot to fame as Mitch Daniels' chief of staff. Oh, I love that position, but he carried himself away. (laughs) (laughs) For a couple of years, we've been trying to get him on, and to our great thanks, sincere thanks, goes to Sarah Gonzo Tate, who helped make this happen. We are joined today for our discussion by, I'm sure, someone who's known Mr. Gonzo for a while, and that's Hall of Famer Jim Shella. Jim, take it away. (laughs) Thank you. i got to start out and tell you, I've maybe done this before, but I got to tell you how I first became acquainted, at least with the image of Harry Gonzo. I was in seventh grade growing up in a small <laughs> town in Minnesota when my dad took me and my brother to our first Big Ten football game. And it was Indiana University against Minnesota in 1967. It was the week before the bucket game. I remember both weeks very well. <laughs> the bucket game. The first not- week was bad, and the second week was good. <laughs> and what, what most people don't remember about uh, the Big Ten football uh, conference in 1967 is that it ended up being a three-way tie right. for right. the championship, Minnesota, Indiana, and Purdue. And by virtue of the fact that Indiana had never been to the Rose Bowl, we won the opportunity for that year. Yeah, because Indiana beat Purdue – but Michigan beat Indiana and Purdue or Minnesota. Minnesota beat Indiana and Purdue beat Minnesota. That's the three-way tie. 
and you guys got selected. It's when you read about it, it seems like something yeah. out of the Middle Ages or a fairy, fairy tale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it was wonderful. It was just we had a great season and lost obviously to Minnesota, but mm-hmm. then on to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I can tell that, that's a very bright memory for me because that Indiana team with you and John Eisenberger, Jade Butcher was, was it, it, it's legendary. Uh, yeah, it was uh, guys are often mentioned with the team, but boy, we had an outstanding defense. We had an outstanding line, lineman on the offense and really smart guys. Everybody was in great shape. And the uh, Butcher, Eisenberger, Gonzo fame had too much attention at that time. And uh, the other guys really weren't recognized very much. If somebody had told you back then that Indiana would not win the Big Ten football championship again at this stage in history, what would you have thought? I have to admit that we were very disappointed that we didn't win any more Rose Bowl games. Because you were a freshman. Or be invited. Right. No, freshmen were ineligible to play, so uh, we had to sit out the first year. And uh, but, I, yeah, f- forget where we were. So you were a sophomore. I was a sophomore, as yeah. was Butcher and uh, and John Eisenberger. Was it the next year? Was that the last year? Michigan didn't have Schembechler. Did he start the next year as coach? And then the Ohio State Michigan war, that ten year war, started, and they were all so good. Yeah, I'm not sure that I recall that. Yeah, right yeah. about then. You're from Ohio originally. Yes, Findlay, Ohio. How, how did you end up at IU? <laughs> this is a great story. I initially had to say no to baseball. I was drafted by the Tigers out of my senior class at Findlay High School. I was a catcher. I think I mentioned that. And then I played football, and I was highly recruited by Michigan State at the time, and they were incredible national champions. Duffy Doherty. Duffy Doherty. Duffy Doherty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, so it's a really interesting for me. It's been fascinating, but uh, I wanted to play football, and I turned down the drafting, obviously, of the Tigers because I didn't think that that would serve my long-term interests, given that. You really don't get much of an education if you're playing baseball when you're 17 or 18 or 19 years old. Mm. So I wanted to go to a top-rate school and was interviewed by Ohio State, Woody Hayes. Woody Hayes gave me his number two conversation piece by looking at my forehead and speaking. And basically, it was just so funny that he had no interest in me. And I thought to myself, well, why am I here? Michigan State liked me. And uh, I went to, to, what's the next one? <laughs> went to the, uh, I went to Indiana for, for a visit and uh, they too were really nice. And at the end of the conversation, they, uh, they basically said, Harry, we really like you. We think you're a, a good athlete. You're an out- outstanding guy, but we have these scholarships that are available and we need to make sure that we take care of the Indiana boys. And I said, well, thank you very much, coach. I got a scholarship offer from Michigan state and I'm going to Michigan state. So that's how we parted after my visit there. Then I get home to find out that my so-called trip up to Michigan state to play football with the Spartans and that team my high school coach was going to go up with me as a an extra. And my high school coach and I did not get along. I basically, the next day, it was this much, it was a matter of two or three days. 
I then get a phone call from IU. Oh, did I tell you that I had called Michigan State and said that not coming? I, that I was coming, mm-hmm. and and then learned obviously that obviously I wasn't going to. But in any event, we ended up with Indiana University changing its mind and giving me a, a scholarship and all that. So that was how I ended up at Indiana. And never left in some ways. <laughs> yes, uh, that's correct. Had a great experience playing football, then a great experience by virtue of the full ride that the university gave to me. It was called the First Outstanding Promise Fellow, in which my law school education was paid for, room and board, etc. So it was a, just a tremendous opportunity, and that set the stage for my later activities with the university, which were wonderful, significant, complete, and just outstanding. So I have a lot of commitment to and love for Indiana University. We have another, and before I let poor Mr. Shella continues, we have another connection, Leaders and Legends podcast, for that Rose Bowl, Mr. Jeff Smolian. Really? Who was at USC at the time. <laughs> Came on the podcast. This is one of the very first ones we did. He was incredibly gracious, and he talked a lot about his USC years. And as I recall, he may have mentioned the fact that USC beat IU in the uh, Rose Bowl that year. But he was there at the same time as O.J. Simpson, who played in the game, in the Rose Bowl game. Was he? How much of him do you remember in the sense that he was just different than everyone else? OJ, mm-hmm. very much. He was the the designated leader to deal with the press uh, for uh, Southern Cal, and I was for IU. And so we spent a lot of time the first two or three for, for the first, I think we were out there for five days before we played the Super Bowl game. And uh, I spent a lot of time with OJ Simpson, and we really were good, close friends. And it's too bad the rest is history. Yeah. But Nava, that was really a, the, high, the high point of, excuse me, of getting getting to see OJ. Yeah. You mentioned the, the, the Tigers being drafted by the Tigers to play baseball. At this time, the Tigers were one of the best teams in the American League. It had just gone to the World Series or was about to go to the World Series in 68. I hate to ask this question, but how hell of a good of an athlete were you, for heaven's sakes? Michigan State, IU, Ohio State, the Tigers? I was I was pretty good in baseball. I, I was a catcher and had a good arm and a reasonable bat and good speed. And I, w- I wasn't surprised that I was drafted by the Tigers because there was another guy at Finley, Ohio, that took me under his arm. And he had contact with the professional sports activities, especially baseball. And so it was just just wild that I got that that opportunity to play in the major leagues. But then I decided, I come from a large family, six kids and two wonderful parents who did uh, an awful lot on a lot of, on not very much income or et cetera. And uh, so I felt a need to to pick a pick something that would have a good forward trajectory and be able to to take care of myself and my family. So chose not no to baseball and yes to Indy, to football. And then, of course, the zigzag that I went through was interesting and very frustrating. I was very embarrassed to have to call Michigan State and say, no, I reneged my acceptance, but it worked out. Did you entertain notions of playing pro football? This is the late 60s, early 70s. 
pro football has taken off because now there's the Super Bowl, soon to be the merger in 1970. Indiana, the state, had some terrific quarterbacks in this time. Daryl LaMonica, Joe Theismann, Bob Greasy, Mike Phipps, Harry Gonzo. It was really doing well in Leroy Keys, if we're going to talk about running backs, but it was doing well as a state with regard to football talent. How close did you come to going to the NFL? Not very. I basically checked out of interest in in baseball or in football because of all the injuries that I had in concussions, etc., where I would get hit hard or I had hit somebody hard and have to <laughs> I remember one that was over in Northwestern where I had to put my nose guard or my face guard on uh, the 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 line and crawl off and look up to the coach and say, "Hey, coach, I can't play anymore." And so they took me out of the game, and I had two or three of those. And so I I just felt that it was it, football was not a good place for me to try to have a future outside of college. You're listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Harry Gonzo, and we're joined by Jim Shella. Jim, take it away. Wait, did you go straight from law school to Ice Miller? Uh, no, I went to Bingham Summers, Washington Spillman, had a very nice experience there. And then Ice Miller offered me a partnership after, I guess I was a partner at Bingham Summers as well, to join the partnership at Ice Miller. And I was a little bit embarrassed by that, obviously, to, to be the first attorney at, uh, at Ice Miller and to, to say goodbye to a wonderful law firm. But it was a better opportunity for me and my family. The biggest law firm in the state, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And you practice business law? Primarily that. I Initially, when I was at Bingham Summers, I did a lot of litigation and uh, enjoyed that, but I, I wasn't really competent to continue that. So it, I, I did go to business school down at IU Bloomington, and, and my law school, I, I focused mainly on the, after you get the basic foundation uh, on business practices, accounting, et cetera, et cetera. And so I went for that angle of being a business lawyer. Yeah. And yet stayed involved at Indiana University and on the board of trustees. And Yeah. Yeah. I meant to, before this conversation, meant to just look exactly what, where, what year I started, but I served, so that was four or six three-year terms, uh, my first effort. And uh, then I took a hiatus to help Mitch Daniels with governor and uh, and then have another six years at the end where I rejoined the firm. So yeah, it was a long, I think that I'm the longest serving trustee in the university's history. And not just that, you've, uh, you, as I understand it, you've chaired the, the search committee for a couple of presidents. Yes, I you. have. Yes. That's interesting duty. How do you go about finding a new president? But that's why you have a search committee. So you search. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I did, when I was at Ice Miller, for example, I, I did a lot of hiring of uh, young lawyers. And, and I was on the board for a, a short period of time. And then we had the obviously the retirement of a, of a president and uh, someone had to serve as the chair on behalf of the board, which I did. And so then we lost that president. And then that when when the, the second president came up, I, I did that as well. It was, that was one of the highlights of my career okay, so serving as chair well, of the I was just, committee. just getting ready to say, forgive me. What's it like to go from tapping a keg 
on Fraternity Row for, to searching for the president of the university. You make some pretty, <laughs> some evil Knievel-esque leaps here. <laughs> I hate to disagree with you, but I didn't tap any kegs at, at, at the university. Although I, I It was did, late 60s. I, I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. Taste a little beer every, every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> but that's a heck of an honor. Yeah, somebody had to do it, and, and <laughs> somehow I, I was very proud of the fact that it was a, a great experience uh, for me, and I think the results of each of those activities w- was was very good. Jim, do you want to ask about the Bobby Knight saga, or do you want me to? <laughs> you go ahead and frame it. <laughs> Bobby Knight is hired, I think his first year is 70-71. He's then fired 29 years later, and what was the biggest news story I think, other than 9-11 almost, in Indiana for that decade, it was something else. Were you involved in that at all? And I've talked to other people who were trustees or were involved in it, and the uni- without mentioning any names, the universal conclusion is we did all we could to save the man, and in the end, he just made it too difficult. I agree that's what happened. but And no, I was in no way involved with his selection. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he was a great coach for a, a period of time. And then he had his circumstances appear that led to his retiring from the mm-hmm. from his position. But I was, <laughs> I was when I was in law school, I, I was playing paddle ball in the stadium where they had the basketball arena. Mm-hmm. And I very quietly walked where nobody could see me. There was lights coming down on the f- basketball court. And Bob Knight, I had never met him. He goes, Gonzo, comma, who the F do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> and so I laughed and I said, sorry, coach, I'm just going to play some p- paddle and uh, with coach this X. And uh, so I just laughed and he did too. Thank heavens. So he was just, uh, he was just giving me, and I never met him before, which was very surprising for me to as a tr- have him pick me As up. a trustee, is it just so difficult to nag- navigate? You're a trained litigator, a trained attorney. Uh, you focus on the facts, logic, reason. And then you had, I grew up worshiping Bobby Knight, of course, and as yeah. an IU fan, how do you, separate this guy does so much good he really has put indiana university on the map in a way that had never been before but he just can't treat everyone like a jerk i think that ultimate conclusion by everybody that had authority and responsibility for taking care of indiana university and the basketball program and the basketball athletes and all that stuff that's why it all happened this lost control and Miles Brand gave him the zero tolerance, and he violated it. It kind of, kind of, all kind of. But Knight talks a lot about the difference between those presidents and John Ryan and Herman Wells. Was there a big difference between difference between whom? Like between Brand in the late nineties and the early two thousands, and John Ryan in the eighties and Herman Wells. I I I don't think that. Uh, Miles Brand was at all pressured to uh, terminate uh, Bob Knight. He j- he just felt that he had to do that because just a variety of other individuals. And to your other point, I had the opportunity after I was in law school to work for Her- Herman B. Wells, mm-hmm. which is one one big treat. 
And uh, so I think that whole situation, obviously, is a big scar on Indiana University, but ultimately, it really probably had to happen. I sent two kids to Indiana University. One of them graduated. But it, it is uh, an amazing uh, institution. I, I think it's one of the one of the most beautiful campuses uh, anywhere. And I just wonder what what is it besides the opportunities that you've been given and the involvement you've had. What what do you tell people about Indiana University? I think it's a great institution. It's got a rich his- history and and is on the trajectory, I think, to keep that level up and e- even go more. We have a wonderful new president, and I think that she is really patiently inching her ways to have a, a tremendous university. The fact that we were able to deal with the peaceful separation mm-hmm. and a partnership relationship with Purdue University at Indiana University at Indianapolis. That that's, speaks volumes. And I think that with respect to the regional campuses, but also, but mainly with IU Bloomington and IU Indianapolis, the it, it's not been better. And, it, and the, the future looks like nothing but opportunities. Let, let me just say, as someone with a communications degree, to, to see a college president who started out with a communications degree is, <laughs> is, is rather unusual and, and I would say rewarding. They're referencing <laughs> uh, President uh, Pamela Witten. Indiana University, previous guest on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Good, she good. was terrific. I've had several folks on, people whom you know, and I asked them about their particular mafias. There's a Brebuff mafia. John Dillon admitted there was a Brebuff mafia. There are lots of them. But the talent that came out of Indiana University in the 1960s and what those leaders have meant for not just the state, but let's concentrate on Indianapolis. I'll give you I'll give you two off the top of my head. Jim Morris and David Frick. David Frick to me is the most underrated person in the history of the city. A great guy. Incredible. You have Jim Kittle, you have Randy Tobias, the list goes on and on. What's it like to get together? I know they're a little bit older than you, some of them, but how did you feel that IU produced such amazing leaders during that particular time? Yeah, it uh, it was very concerning for me to be able to continue at a high level to work, to serve IU, and basically be engaged with those types of individuals you just mentioned, some of whom were really great friends of mine when I was involved, especially on the trustee board and then also active in practice. But this city has been blessed with some incredible leaders and and fortunately IU has had a chance to be involved in almost all of them. You you mentioned the separation of IUPUI into, uh-huh. into separate institutions. Is I think that's long overdue. Would you agree with that? Personalities play a role in in what's going on and then just basically global situations like the Gorilla in, in, I don't mean this in a bad sense. The real strong effort at IU Indianapolis is the School of Medicine. Tremendous. The state of Indiana has it. And then we have the law school as well and somewhat of a, a degree of the undergraduate level and other graduate programs. It's a wonderful atmosphere now. 
and really happy that it's turning out even better. I just think that IUPUI had a real marketing problem. It, it was hard to it identify It was denigrated with. for sure on both campuses. Yeah. That's for sure. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, speaking of tapping a keg, and <laughs> NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our guest today is former Indiana University trustee and quarterback, well-known attorney, public servant, Harry Gonzo. Is there a particular Hoosier leader and or legend you admire most? Mitch Daniels. I went to the uh, to support that statement on leave of absence from Icemeller for two years so that I could be his chief of staff. He and I were buddies. Before that, we went down to Dodger Town and played baseball together. He would gargle the Indiana fight song when he was brushing his teeth in the morning when we woke up. We shared, <laughs> shared the same. It was just, and he's a, a intensely fun and smart and just robust. He's just a remarkable guy. And so when he asked me to be his chief of staff, I just said, man, how can I pass this up? I'm going to pass this over to Jim so he can take you through those two years. Jim, this is all yours, but your buddy, the person you admire most, goes on to be president of Purdue University. Did he tell you he was president before he became president or afterward? Oh, golly. I, I knew that uh, he was uh, interested and in the running, but yeah, I'm, I'm just happy for him. Matter of fact, I'm more happy for Purdue. I'm yeah. more happy for Indiana University, the state of Indiana, that he landed in that position because I'm not sure that he was well greeted by history, mm-hmm. but he certainly did create a, a, just a tremendous, viable, explosive atmosphere that that now exists and the new guy has taken over. And my son was at Purdue for those for four of those years. He didn't raise tuition once. Governor Daniels, President Daniels, thank you very much. I've always thought, I was going to write about this for the Indianapolis Star, what Hesburgh was to Notre Dame and what Wells was to IU, Mitch Daniels is to Purdue. He just completely changed it. Yeah. I, yeah, I think Indiana University has several great leaders Dr. Wells being certainly one of them, and uh, clearly up at, at Purdue, Michigan, excuse me, Mitch <laughs> leads the way. It struck me uh, at the time that, that you decided to become his chief of staff. That seemed like an unusual move to me. You, you've explained your personal relationship, and that was explained by, by the governor at the time. But why would you, why would you leave a, a, a plum position like, like you had in order to work in government? Oh, I don't know. I, I, my best guess, and thank you for asking that question, because I'm always making decisions about what to do. And is it money? Is it what? Is it whatever? And so basically, with respect to the decision about Mitch, I just thought it would be a great opportunity to help Indiana to improve everybody's interests along along the way. And I just hoped that I could after the two years that I served and tried to help him get established, that there would be an opportunity for me to get back and be a lawyer and whatever. 
in those were his first two years in, in yes, office. Yes. <clears throat> and he has a, a record that, that, uh, is heralded at, at this point for the, the number of things he accomplished, but things were a little rocky off the top. Uh-huh. I don't think, I think that's also been the case for all of the presidents that have been, uh, brought in to serve as a president of the university, especially if they mm-hmm. didn't have a prior relationship, like moving a vice president up to the president. And I just think he, he took the baton and did what he felt that he needed to do. And his instincts, I think, are remarkably clear and, and right. He just, he was very patient. And I, I think he's just adored by the Purdue people now. All of the faculty mm-hmm. and, of course, the, the administration and the, and the trustees. Uh, uh, yeah. Jim's point about being chief of staff, I was at the communications director at the Indiana Republican Party for not those, not all of those years, but a chunk of it. I started in May of 2006. Thank you, Jennifer Hollowell. <laughs> those were rough years. We had a terrible election in 2006. Basically, we lost three congressional seats, lost the Indiana House. Kept the statewide Luger ran unopposed. But when you go into the state house and you have to work with so many people, did your training as, as an attorney help you or not at all? The thing that I've always kept in mind is that if you don't know something, ask about it and, and inquire and do the best you can. And sure, I feel there's probably were several people that were better equipped to, to be a, a, a chief of staff, for example. But Mitch knew that I supported him and do anything virtually f- to help his career. And he knew that I was a rookie. No, <laughs> A So to was Z. he, according to Pat Bauer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, again, I, I... Did you enjoy it? I absolutely enjoyed it. It was, uh, it was fun learning the legislative process, the judicial process, and of course, the, uh, the political process. And uh, I had opportunities to get involved in every one of those deal with the media and uh, you were very good by the way thank you thank you i wasn't trolling for that (laughs) i know that but no it was just a tremendous experience and i cherish it and that's why i have done uh, made a lot of decisions like those coming out of the daniels administration why'd you serve just two years number one i told him that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to help him get stabilized, involved, dealing with the the tough issues that he did deal with and we got done. But then I knew that I have a family that I need to go back to to serving their needs. What's it like to be in a behind closed doors conversation, closed door conversation with Mitch, you're fine, with Mitch Daniels when you have to tell him that you don't think he's right? You want to take Uh, us through that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, there were several times that uh, we had really tough decisions to make, but it wasn't my decision to make. It was his decision to make. And I, I think when you recognize that, what you try to do is be as helpful and constructive and informative as you can. And yet, the decision's got to be made by the governor. And uh, we didn't have too many issues like that. Um, but you had some fights, not you and the governor, but Daniels, the Daniels administration took this state in a direction so completely different, it took it in the direction it needed to be. Right. But when you are up against elected leaders, 
who say, we've never done it that way before. You remember that, Jim Shella? <laughs> how do you well, overcome that to get how much and how did Mitch Daniels overcome that to, to shape this state and put it in the right direction? I think we've seen it evolve uh, in his leadership at Purdue. It's just he's he's got a mindset that is a, a north south uh, trajectory and uh, he he knows exactly what he wants to achieve and uh, so I think he he found in me just a guy that here's what we need to do and quite candidly I would very much appreciate it if you would go out and get it done. It's good for the state. And when he said that, I fully agreed and uh, did my best to go maybe sit down and talk with a legislator and say, this is what's going on. This is what we need to do and saved Mitch time and uh, relationship issues and all that stuff. So it was a tremendous two years. Did you know the job offer was coming? No. To be chief of staff? No. I'm not sure if I was involved in his election effort, but I, m- I must have been, yeah. <laughs> I was in, not very visibly, I wouldn't say. If you, if you yeah, guys don't know by now, you found out that I've got a memory problem, and I'm dealing with that. But it's We're fun. happy to have you on the podcast. It's, very happy. It's, Harry fun, Gonzo. it's fun talking about the good old days, and I'm very proud of the opportunity to serve with Mitch, the opportunity to serve IU, and, and live in the state. Were you involved in politics? Oh no! I, in the sense, that other I, other than helping out friends, no. I thought my duty would obviously. I try to vote every time, sure, regardless of uh, whether a big, big or bad stuff is going on in the country or Indiana. Yeah, uh, I guess that's why I, when Mitch named you as chief of staff, I was surprised because I'd never heard of any political involvement. I knew you were involved no, I had, at, no. at Indiana University and had a great reputation. And I haven't done anything in politics to a meaningful extent since then. Okay. Yeah. You came of age in the late 60s. Not exactly a recruiting time period for the Republican Party. So how did you end up a Republican getting out of high school and college, late 60s, early 70s? Nixon? Was Nixon the one? Was it Nixon at the time? Nixon was elected in 68, yeah. Okay. But there's campuses were on fire and there was all these hippies and free love and demonstration. Well, I... Did you see Shella in any of those? (laughs) I always remember I was still in high school. (laughs) No, I don't know how I came out as basically Republican because I I was... What's a good word for it? Uh, I just do what you got to do and help do right. don't do bad things and that kind of stuff and so you know, improve your what you can do for the benefit of the team or for Mitch or for your law firm or a client and otherwise I haven't really had the political designation of Republican or Democrat guide what I do yeah I and and I'm guessing that had something to do with the reasons, at least one of the reasons why Mitch Daniels chose you, because you weren't a political figure. It was about getting things done yeah. rather than being partisan. Yeah. Did you meet Mitch Daniels when he was working for, excuse me, Mayor Luger or Senator Luger? Or I met him, I think, first when he worked with Eli Lilly and Company. And I had a really great friend there, the president at that time. And so I got to know him there. And the rest is history. You mentioned that you went to Dodger Town with him. You're not yes. a Dodger fan, are you? No, but it was uh, Vaughn Bryson and Mitch and a couple of others acted like boys again and wore suit, baseball suits and caps. And <laughs> When George Will came on the podcast, he was somewhat reluctant, which I get. He's busy, and I'm just an Eastside IPS kid. 
And I said, I'll only ask you about three things. And he says, okay, what? I said, baseball history and Mitch Daniels. And he goes, I'll come on. Well, good, good. <laughs> I thought that was such an interesting way. He didn't even argue anymore. It's like I've somehow come stumbled upon oh, three of his yeah. favorite topics. Is, he, is Daniels, a, is the governor a Dodgers fan? Oh, yes. Because I think because of Carl Erskine, he started following the Dodgers. Yeah. And I'm not sure. If, uh, maybe the uh, the fact that you're saying that uh, it, he went to Dodger Town. I'm not sure if he had any prior history with the Dodgers. No, I think, just, he, I think he has. It he was has just an a, opportunity to, to, no, to play baseball. He has been a Dodger fan, I okay. believe. Okay. Sure. Yeah, I grew up a Minnesota Twins fan. I'm still not over the 1965 World <laughs> Series. I should say my dad went to a training camp with the Dodgers, but got drafted in the Marine Corps instead, which worked out because my mother was in the Marine Corps, and that's how they met. So great, great. Some things just work out. You mentioned something a few minutes ago about politics and your career. My son's in graduated from Purdue. He's currently at, in law school at McKinney. Uh, we can all quote Henry the Sixth, isn't it? Henry the Sixth. First thing we do, kill all the lawyers. <laughs> God loves Shakespeare. Uh, what is it about the the legal profession, which I ask two quick questions, which recruits so many incredibly bright people, and at the same time is so culturally loathed. Oh, boy, I hope, let, it is. Let, I hope it isn't that dramatic. Yeah. As, a, as a former member of the media, let me jump to the rescue. <laughs> I, I, I think, number one, that just, you know, there are apples and then there are, there, are, there are rotten apples in the legal profession. But by and large, I think the vast majority are committed to supporting the law, supporting the country that they live in. And trying to deal as best they can with what's going on and, and what ought to occur. And of course, then you get into the advocacy role that, that the lawyers have to play when they represent somebody. And that's on the media all the time these days where you can see a person's activities, statements, and they sound so extreme and horrible. And then the lawyer tries to soften it, often it up. Just think a good lawyer has to be flexible, keep in mind that he's, he's taken an oath and uh, that laws are designed to do what they've been designed, uh, passed to do. And uh, the rest of the other uh, part that's going on in, on, in my view, the country, for example, is just we've never seen a situation like it is today. Well, a former podcast guest, a fellow named Jim Voiles gave that exact same answer when I asked him. He says, everyone is deserving of rep representation. Everyone deserves an advocate. Mm -hmm. You agree with that? Sure. And hopefully the, the truth prevails and uh, justice is served and the right decisions have been made. We have a couple of more minutes. Jim, you want to ask a few more questions before we get to well, the five well, questions? You, let's go back to IU football because they've got a new f coach now, Coach Signetti. A lot of high hopes. Do you, if, I'm sure you would love to see IU football become more dominant than what it's been. Uh, what are your hopes for this new coach? I haven't had an opportunity to meet him, but I have listened to, to, to some of the things that he's uh, provided publicly. And uh, I, I wish him well. I wish the program well. And uh, hopefully, you know, that can be achieved. 
Yeah, my daughter was in the Marching 100, and so I went to a lot of IU football games. And what I think a lot of IU fans don't understand is that the Marching 100 performs after the game. And the stands <laughs> would empty out in the fourth quarter, and there'd be nobody there but band parents. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you want to be most remembered for? My children, such as my lovely daughter, Sarah Gonzo-Tate, and what they have done, uh, hopefully that I provided some good service personally. and uh, we, we have to mention your daughter, Ellie. But she's getting ready to come up. Okay, you go ahead. We, we, Sarah's going to ask the five questions here in a few seconds. Right. We have to mention Ellie, though, because Ellie interned at Wish TV a number of years ago okay. and, and was assigned to me. We spent the summer together. And, <laughs> and apparently, I encouraged her to find uh, a, a future in some line of work outside the media. <laughs> I wouldn't take it personally. <laughs> wonderful young lady. Yeah. We have come to the point in the Leaders and Legends podcast where we ask the same five questions of all of our are you Are you going to talk with my daughter, who's well, one of my Sarah, favorite? Yes. who is certainly your biggest legacy, for sure, a new generation of leaders that this city and state sorely needs are people like Sarah, Ryan Vaughn, the list goes on. Great people. Um, I happened to see her at a wedding and said, man, I'd love to interview your dad. And we had a nice conversation that led to today. So I'll thank you again at the end of the podcast, but I want to thank Sarah right now. Okay, Sarah. Yeah. You have to come up here. Oh, okay. To this very ornate desk. No, oh, Harry. Are you set? Oh, you sure? Yeah. Right there. These questions are all for you. So we asked the same five questions of all of our guests. And they are right there. And you want to ask him about being grounded or not getting the car you wanted or why can't that well, boy come thing, over? Yeah. The one thing I did want to bring up that he didn't know was he was also a state championship diver when he was in high school. And what's funny about that is I was also a diver and I was second my freshman year of high school, third my sophomore year of high school, second again my junior year of high school. And he would only mildly rub in. That he was the only Gonzo who had won the state championship diving. And so there's just a little bit of pressure going into my senior year to finally win. And I did. Yeah. yeah. But he held that over my head. Did so. you put your ribbon above his so they couldn't see? <laughs> I don't know if they made ribbons back in the 50s, right? Uh, for his state champion. But we share that in common. Okay. So your five questions. What was your first job? Oh, for me? Yeah. Okay. I've mowed lawns at Finley, Ohio, mm -hmm. hired by the city, whatever it was, ground crews, and uh, did that. Very modest. I came from a very modest background and uh, just loved my parents and my sisters and brothers. And that really has been, I think, the most important influence in my life in terms of every decision that I've made is... Keep it simple, stupid. It could be a two-part question. Do you remember the first concert you attended? Because another question it could be, do you remember the first concert you took me to? No, I don't. But I think it would probably have been when I was involved with uh, the downtown. Yeah. The first concert you and I went to, which is pretty cool, was Michael Jackson. Ah, I've heard of him. Yeah. yeah. Another famous Hoosier. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> if you could suggest any book for someone to read, what would it be? Oh, golly. I'm not trying to be crazy. I'm not quite sure what I would, would recommend. I'd have to study it. To Keep a Republic by Mitch Daniels? 
Keeping the Republic. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping the Republic. <laughs> See, I, I need to read it again. I think right you're, now, I your think focus you're right. is on Sudoku books, right? Sudoku? It's not a book. It's just well, it's a, a, a series of... May I ask you a question, sir? Yeah. What did, did you read Season on the Brink, the book about Bobby Knight and the basketball season? Yes, yeah. I did. What did you think of that? It was true. <laughs> <laughs> so there, that'll be our answer. Make you all like that. Okay, if you could witness any event in history and be there in person as it happened, what event would you choose? I would probably be at one of your diving competitions oh, wow. where I had driven long and hard and saw you either win or come close. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could have dinner with anyone living today for two hours off the record just to chat, who would you choose? Just only one? Yeah. Okay. Living today. Living today. Clarence Doniger, I have to, given this conversation we've had today and. Oh, the OIU sports director? Athletic director? Yeah, the one that terminated mm -hmm. Bob Knight. I was a dear friend of mine and I really admired the strength that he had to do a very difficult task. And I, I think he just deserves a lot of appreciation. I think he I, has. I don't know. Regardless. I think he has. Clarence Doniger. You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. As always, all our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister, the best, the absolute best. Our guest today, Harry Gonzo, civic leader, Mitch Daniels Whisperer, maybe? <laughs> Great. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Longtime attorney. He's been involved in so many civic and community organizations. We simply just can't list them all here. We were joined by co-host Jim Shella and his daughter, Sarah Gonzo-Tate. Thank you, Sarah, for everything. Do, do one of you, Sarah, by the way, do you want to mention your brother since we only talked about you and your sister? Christopher, Matthew, up to anything? Oh, yeah. To, to be clear, I was only mentioned because I was sitting behind <laughs> you. And I think he did leave me out at his 60th birthday event. So it's fair. This is, I get it back that he noted me today. Well, but yeah, no, with two brothers, I, I think when you talked about uh, dad's legacy, his, his grandkids, he often looks me in the eyes and says that he loves those grandkids more than he loves me. He means it. Those, my two brothers have three kids and are here in Indiana as well and doing great things. And I know my dad is really proud of everything that all of us kids are doing. Thank you so much, Harry, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It's been a great privilege. to talk to you. Privilege. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Mm -hmm.